Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 227. Today's topic is Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal, Part 28. The Climate Report is a daily radio show and podcast that asks the question, WTF? Who's running the world, and why do they want to ruin it for the rest of us, including their own children? The Climate Report is a thorough examination of how to solve the problem of climate change. It's also your definitive source for information and analysis related to the Green New Deal. On the Climate Report, we question everything we've ever been taught about American politics, American history. We question everything we've ever been taught about the role of the United States in the world. We question everything we've ever been taught about America as the policeman of the world or America as the spreader of democracy and freedom. We question everything we've ever been taught about the American free enterprise system or the free market economy. We question everything we've ever been taught about American culture, American hegemony, American exceptionalism, and on and on. We also question everything we've ever learned from TV. The views expressed on this show are those of the speaker and no one else. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. So we're going through Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal, and the last time when we left off, we were talking about this pretty intriguing uh, section of the Green New Deal. It's talking about the a just transition. So we need a massive mobilization. We need renewable energy, and that's going to require a massive mobilization. And we want to do so in a way that is fair to everyone. For example, here's what we don't want to do. Well, I mean, it might not be a bad thing, but if, if you put a massive tax on fossil fuels and that tax was passed along so that people have to pay at the pump, and if that in if that disproportionately fell upon the poor and the middle class, then, well, that wouldn't be good. So that's what we don't want, because if you are proposing policies like that, then guess who is going to be against it? The poor and the middle class, and that's a lot of people being against something. Plus, you have this fake concern trolling on the part of the uh, fossil fuel companies and the media pundits and the politicians say, oh, we can't do that because it would raise gas prices at the pump. Okay, if you're so damn concerned about raising gas prices at the pump, then give people a universal basic income. Give people a social safety net. Give people uh, SNAP benefits, the uh, food assistance program. If you're so concerned about people not being able to make ends meet, then give people unionized jobs. Livable wage, union jobs. So that's the idea. We need to make, we need, you know, what else are we going to do other than make a fair and just society? And, you know, at the top of the show, we talked about we're going to question everything we've ever been taught 
about the American system. And one thing we've been taught in the American system is that the free market economy is, is a strong economy and it, 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 it's fair and it's right and it's just and it makes people hustle and uh, it's the engine of growth and it's the reason for our prosperity. But not very much of that is actually true. So it's not about isms anymore, and it's not about ideology. It's about what works. We need to question all the ideology we've ever been taught. So let's read through this paragraph that we touched upon last time, but it's about energy assistance and uh, a hunger-free transition. You know, the question is, why is anybody ever hungry in America, the richest country that has ever existed in the history of the world, why does anybody ever have to go hungry? And I don't know the answer to that. There's different reasons, but it is because of neglect. It's because we don't have our priorities straight. It's because we bought into false ideologies about what we're about and how we operate. So it says here we're going to ensure a hunger-free transition. It says, because the cost of energy and food are so intertwined, we will provide $215 billion for free universal school meals, including breakfast, lunch, and snacks. We will expand the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program, SNAP, by $300 billion to increase the benefits from the thrifty plan, which provides inadequate benefits to the more generous low-cost food plan, include those with incomes up to 200% of the federal poverty line, remove punitive work requirements. In other words, this is reversing some of the so-called welfare reform brought to you by your friend and Democrat Bill Clinton. With Democrats like that, Who needs Republicans? But this is reversing some of the very damaging and cruel welfare reforms that were done in the 90s by Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich and his crowd. So it says we're going to increase funding to the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And we're going to say if you're twice the federal poverty line, then you get Supplemental Nutrition Assistance. It also says here that we will expand the SNAP program and benefits to the people of Puerto Rico, the Northern Mariana Islands, and American Samoa, so they are on par with the benefits in the continental United States. It's a little-known fact that there are a great many people in the world, about one-eighth of the of the citizens of the United States are in territories. They don't live in states. They live in territories. Territories such as Puerto Rico. Territories such as American Samoa. So it says we're going to make sure that SNAP benefits are on par with those countries. Next paragraph. As President Bernie will ensure tribes and Native American people benefit from this plan. 
The federal government will abide by treaties and respect tribal sovereignty while upholding the trust responsibility in every step of this plan. What many Americans do not know, you know, at the top of the show, we said we're going to question everything we've ever been taught about American history. What many Americans do not know is how frequently and how routinely the United States government violates its treaties. I mean, I could, I could name, you know, the, the, the Charter of the United Nations is an example of a treaty that the United States violates every day. The, uh, you know, the United States government, the, you know, the for, our foreign policy, let's say, has no respect for the sovereignty of other countries. And the, the, you know, policy of the federal government has no respect for the treaties that have been entered into with native tribes. So it is a, it's a, it's a, it's significant that Bernie says the federal government will abide by treaties and respect tribal sovereignty. If you think that we abide by treaties all the time, then it's like, "Mm, so what? Don't we all, don't we do that? Well, no, we don't do that. It says here, tribes will be eligible for all funding available through this plan. So, as opposed to maybe denying tribes, it's, it's not clear sometimes when are the people of Indian tribes, you know, entitled to all the benefits of American citizens, or when are they just their own sovereign tribe. But it says tribes will be eligible for all funding available through this plan. Tribes will be able to request technical assistance from agencies carrying out the Green New Deal to equip them with the resources needed to co-manage resources and review federal government actions through the consultation and consent process. The next sentence says, We will abide by the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples and ensure the free, prior, and informed consent by Indigenous Peoples. So the issue here is how do, you, how do you have true diversity within your borders? How do you have respect for the rights of indigenous tribes within your borders? The United Nations has a declaration on the rights of indigenous peoples. And it says we will abide by that declaration. And why shouldn't we? It's a treaty that we entered into. But it's not always self-evident to the powers that be that we're going to abide by our treaties because what matters is not ethics or decency or respect. What matters in the United States of America is profit above all else. That needs to change. So we're still talking about a just transition for frontline communities. And we get to, and as President Bernie will do this, 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 and this, as President Bernie will ensure tribes and Native American people benefit from this plan, ensure that tribes and Native American people benefit from this plan. It says the federal government will abide by treaties and respect tribal sovereignty while upholding the trust responsibility in every step of this plan. 
Tribes will be eligible for all funding available through this plan. Tribes will be able to request technical assistance from agencies carrying out the Green New Deal to equip them with the resources needed to co-manage resources and review federal government actions through the consultation and consent process. I think I've already read that part. Sorry, but here's uh, something I haven't read yet. Invest in, uh, as President Bernie will, invest in environmental justice-centered community economic development. We will repair, dismantle, and convert fossil fuel infrastructure on our federal public lands. Why can we, the people, not get control of what happens on our federal lands? Why is it that what happens on our federal lands is not exclusively for the benefit of the people? Why is it that private interests get to rape our federal lands? But it says we will repair, dismantle, and convert fossil fuel infrastructure on our federal public lands. We must not only clean up existing blighted sites, but as we transition away from fossil fuels, we must ensure no infrastructure is abandoned in a way that would create health or safety dangers for the surrounding community. We will spend $100 billion on fossil fuel well and mine cleanup. A hundred billion dollars. That's a lot of money, but they think nothing about spending that kind of money on the military, and they think nothing about spending that kind of money propping up banks. We still do it. The, the, we prop up banks not just in the 2009 bank bailout, but we prop up banks every day all day long. We prop up banks for breakfast. So we need to stop spending money on propping up banks and stop spending money on propping up hugely profitable fossil fuel companies, and we need to spend it on things that benefit the people. It says here, we will clean up brownfield and superfund sites. We will clean up and repair thousands of contaminated sites. We will invest $238 billion to clean up superfund sites and $150 billion to clean up and revitalize brownfields and other areas and communities that have been polluted by the fossil fuel, chemical, and mining industries. And we ask ourselves, why should corporations pay more taxes? Here it is. Corporations should pay taxes because we're cleaning up their freaking mess. That's why corporations should pay taxes and lots of them. We talk on this show about how corporations do, you know, businesses, especially the biggest corporations, shift their costs onto the public in a thousand different ways. And because they systematically shift their costs onto we the people, then we the people should collect from them in the form of confiscatory taxes. Billionaires have made all of their billions at our expense. That needs to change. 
Now we come to the last section of Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal, and it's a set of topics that are near and dear to my heart, which is empowering farmers, foresters, and ranchers to address climate change and protect ecosystems. It says, our current food system accounts for 25% of all greenhouse gas emissions. Not only can we drastically reduce on-farm emissions, farmers have the potential to actually sequester 10% of all human-caused emissions in the soil. Agriculture, forestry, and fishing are the industries most vulnerable to climate change. We need to incentivize farming systems that help farmers both mitigate climate change and build resilience into uh, build resilience to its impacts. So let's take this one sentence at a time. Our current food system accounts for 25% of all greenhouse gas emissions. So where does that come from? I'm going to name two or three things that cause greenhouse gas emissions in our current food system. One is deforestation. When we deforest, what happens? So a tree, when it's living and growing, absorbs carbon from the atmosphere and puts it into the soil. If we could let our forests grow, that would be a very, very good thing for the climate. Of course, the trends are just the opposite. The trends are toward massive deforestation. So a living tree and a living forest absorbs carbon from the atmosphere and stores it in the soil. Conversely, when you cut down a tree or you cut down a forest, what you're doing is you're releasing that carbon back into the atmosphere because when you cut that tree down, then that tree is going to decompose and release carbon back into the atmosphere. Furthermore, when you uh, plow a, uh, you, you take a, something that was a forest and you plow it up, all of that carbon in the soil is going to be used by the crop that you plant and then it's just going to be released into the atmosphere. So that's one way that our current food system is responsible for greenhouse gases. Another way that our current food system is responsible for greenhouse gases is the type of fertilizers we use. The type of fertilizers we use are made from fossil fuels. And it takes 10 calories in the form of fossil fuel-based fertilizers to create one calorie of edible food. So there's a lot of carbon releasing that takes place in the way that we use fertilizers. Another thing that occurs in our food system is we transport food over long distances. The average bite of food travels 1,500 miles before it reaches our plate. That's a lot of unnecessary carbon being used in the form of fuels that power the trucks that carry our food from one place to another. It's not a system that is based on the needs of people. It is a system based on the, uh, the needs of the people that make the profit and accumulate power. Surprise, surprise, 
Our food system is governed by profit, not people, and our food system is governed by profit, not the needs of the planet, meaning the ecological needs of our planet. The next sentence says, not only can we drastically reduce on-farm emissions, farmers have the potential to actually sequester 10% of all human-caused emissions in the soil. So that point is well taken. That that figure says 10, so it says here 10% of all human-caused emissions can be sequestered in the soil. Sequester means to hide. So like a jury is sequestered, uh, sequestering carbon means to absorb and, and, and store the carbon. So farmers could store 10% of all human-caused emissions in the soil. I've heard much larger figures than 10%. I've heard a figure that says the soils of the earth could store seven times the, the amount of carbon that is currently in the atmosphere. So one-tenth versus seven times is a difference of about 70 between those two numbers. So is it uh, one-tenth of the, uh, of the carbon could be stored in the soils, or is it seven times the carbon that could be stored in the soils? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, you know, the 10% figure is just talking about what farmers could sequester as opposed to the total theoretical capacity of the soils of the earth to hold carbon. But we need to know that significant amounts of carbon could be stored in our soils if we had farming methods and food production methods that were based on the needs of actual people instead of, uh, instead of just corporations and ro- the robotic and rapacious drive for greed and wealth accumulation. The next sentence says, Agriculture, forestry, and fishing are the industries most vulnerable to climate change. So if you are in one of those industries, or if you care about those industries, you should be concerned about how climate change is going to impact those industries. So agriculture could be reformed to be more resilient to climate change, and agriculture could be reformed to be less uh, of a contributor to climate change. Forestry could be reformed so that it so that our forests absorb carbon from the atmosphere. I, I know one thing needs to change, and that is, you know, if you're Home Depot or if you're some industry that depends on timber, uh, I'm sorry, that's not your forest to cut down. I mean, forests are a public asset. We need to get past this uh, stupid idea that if it's if I own this land, then everything on this land is mine to destroy. For one thing, we need to get past the idea of private property altogether. At least, you know, you can have some personal possessions, and you. But what we need is is access, not ownership and control. We have ownership and control of our land and our forests in the hands of a very few, very greedy, very silly people. And that needs to change. We need to, uh, we need for our forests to be managed uh, 
acknowledging the reality that these are public assets with public benefits. And just because you own title to the land does not mean the forest is yours to destroy. It says here, fishing is among the industries that are the most vulnerable to climate change. Why do we not manage the oceans of the world in such a way as to take into account the needs of future generations? Why do we allow illegal fishing to go on without enforcing it or prosecuting it? Why do we spend all this money supposedly on the military, supposedly guarding lanes through which oil can be shipped, and we put virtually no time or effort into preventing illegal and rapacious fishing practices? Plus, climate change generally has heated the oceans Uh, so far by one degree Celsius and increasing, as the oceans warm, that is extremely damaging and detrimental to the ecosystems that are there and to the production of fish. As the, also as there is a greater increase of carbon in the atmosphere, that means that there's more carbon in the oceans. So the oceans acidify when there is more carbon in the atmosphere. So between acidification of the oceans and warming of the oceans, we have lots of damage being done to the ecosystems of the oceans. Why do we allow this to go on, and what can we do to change it? Well, let's back up to a 50,000-foot view for a minute. We have problems because a very few people control the world. We've given over control of the world to a very few very greedy people. People like Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and even people that are less well-known and have even more money. But it's this class of people who, why do they have so much money? Because they don't care about anything but money. So we have given all the power over to people who have all the money. Is that what could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong if you give all the power over to 1% of 1% of people who have all the money? Well, what could go wrong is that they are only concerned about money. They're only concerned about profit, not people. They're only concerned about profit, not the planet. They're only concerned about the accumulation of financial wealth, and they care nothing about ecological wealth or social wealth. So this just points to the need to completely reorganize our system. And we can, but we need numbers. That's what I was getting at earlier. We, we can be ruled by the very few or the very many. It is very clear, it is crystal clear to me that currently we are ruled by the very few and the democracy that we have is just a sham. The democracy that we have is not real. We have the formalities of a democracy, but do we, we do not have a democracy in any real sense of the word. So let's talk for a minute about how to change things. You know, 
we we have this problem with the physics of the earth. The physics of the earth are not going in a direction that is consistent with long-term survival of human beings. Certainly, it's not consistent with civilization as we have currently known it. There may be a few of us that survive in coming decades if we continue business as usual, but uh, in all likelihood, we're looking at a mass die-off of billions of human beings. And is that what we want? It is and uh, you know it's not your fault it's not my fault because you and I are not in charge but we need to figure out how to change things so that we are ruled by the very many instead of the very few I only have a few seconds left but I want to leave you with this the key to activism the key to changing things is educate organize agitate educate organize agitate and then repeat Lather, rinse, and repeat. Educate, organize, agitate, repeat. Figure out what it looks like in your world for you to be part of the educational process, including educating yourself, for you to be part of the organizing process, and for you to be part of the agitating process. That's all we have time for. Please email info at theclimatereport.net. Have a great day.